we can go ahead and get started then. So let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you once again, uh, even as, as uh, Ken pointed out, um, that this is your house. Uh, this is a place we come uh, to worship you, and your presence is here. And uh, Lord, I just I thank you for that opportunity we have to, to look into your word, to uh, study mm-hmm. your great uh, acts in history, and to, to see what you have done uh, in redeeming us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us uh, as we study this, that we would uh, see uh, what your word says, that we would come to understand it better. Lord, that it would impact our lives. Uh, and Lord, just that, uh, that our love for you would grow and our desire to, to walk in holiness uh, would grow as well. Lord, that you would empower us uh, through the renewing power of your word uh, so that we would be more and more Christ-like. I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we have been talking about um, the atonement. So who can tell me what topics we have covered so far, just by way of review? I know not all of you have been here, so we got, you haven't been here for any, and you have, you've only been here for one, so what do you think? Anybody remember? The importance of the atonement. Okay. The necessity. Okay, yeah. So we have the centrality and the necessity of the atonement. Does anybody remember what came next? Is this a trick question? It is not a trick question. <laughs> is it? I don't remember what I had for breakfast yet. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> Do you remember what we talked about last week? The week before we talked about substitution. The week before we talked about substitution. Last week we talked about propitiation. Okay. Um, let's see. And so then there's only one other week there. And actually, I can't remember what the topic is. <laughs> it's pretty bad, huh? What's the topic? Jonathan remembers. What? Jonathan remembers. The topic was three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. What was the topic? He has notes. Centrality? No. That would have been four weeks ago. Oh, I'm losing track of my weeks, so. Reconciliation? There we go. There we go. There we go. I don't know why that was escaping me, but Ooh, yes. Good job. But yes, so we we talked about reconciliation the second time. So, so centrality and necessity of atonement. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Reconciliation. What's the, what's the concept there? Some of you were here for that, but I wasn't here, but I was in another class. Yes, you time. were. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so that is pretty much that there was enmity mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that is the turn from God. We were his enemies. Mm-hmm. So that's... Yeah. Go, a, a changing from a state of being at hostility with God to a state of being at peace with God. So, okay. And then substitution. What's substitution all about? What, that he took our place? Mm-hmm. He place. took our place. That's exactly right. It's the idea that what he did, he did for us. That he was our substitute. Okay, and then propitiation. God's wrath has to be turned away from us. Exactly. Propitiation is the turning away of the wrath of God toward us for our sin. Yeah, which includes doing doing, doing away with the bumper sticker, remember? Right. You know, I remember, I remember the bumper sticker. <laughs> what, what, did, what did we say about bumper stickers? Some, some bumper stickers say, smile, God loves you. Okay. And, and they should say, frown, <laughs> angry with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get rid of all of them. Yes. It's, it's best to just get rid of all, all bumper stickers. Okay. So this morning we're going to talk about redemption and ransom. Um, they are uh, very similar related terms. Um, we'll do a little bit of distinction between them, but, I mean, they're used kind of interchangeably uh, throughout Scripture. So... So, uh, but I mean, at least in our common speech, we do make, at least we use them in different contexts a lot of times. So, um, so what does redemption mean? 
What is what is that what does that conjure to your mind when you talk about redeeming something? Green stamps. Green stamps. Okay, yeah. No, that's I get an answer like that every time I teach this material. Because it's because it's that's that's the way we use it, right? So what is that what what are we doing with that? Cashing them in. Okay, all right. So you're they you're don't do them anymore. Yeah. You're you're using them in exchange for something, right? Right. Okay. What about ransom? What's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We often, I mean, in our day, we often think of that in terms of like hostage situations and stuff like that. Uh, you know, just a, a ransom price being paid to uh, to get somebody out of you know, some unpleasant circumstance. So to begin with, um, we're specifically going to look at the idea of redemption. Uh, so the the Bible speaks of Christ's work in terms of redemption. Um, First verse is uh, Ephesians chapter one verse seven, probably a probably a familiar passage. Um, there, Paul says, "In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace." So here we see he uses the word redemption. So what is the means of our redemption according to this passage? Ephesians 1, what? Uh, chapter 1, Ephesians 1, verse 7. Sorry, I probably should have waited a little longer for people to get there. Yeah, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And what is your question? So, what is the means of redemption according to this passage? He paid with his blood. Mm-hmm, right, it's the blood of Christ. And that's, in a sense, just like shorthand for... The, the atonement of Christ, right? The work of Christ on the cross. So um, we have the idea of his death for us being a, a means that was used to redeem us. Um, and what is our redemption equated to in this passage? It's Ephesians 1 7. Sorry. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins. That's that's what is accomplished in redemption. Now, in order to get the to get a fuller understanding of the idea of redemption, um, I want to look at some some passages where the word is used in other contexts where it's not speaking about Christ's work because it's it's certainly a word that pops up. Um, repeatedly throughout the scripture. And I say isn't referring to Christ's work. It's In some respects you could say even this is because it's kind of typological. Um, but back in the Old Testament, back in the book of Exodus, um, chapter 13 is where we're going to look first. As you know, this is um, this is where God has redeemed his people out of Israel, or out of, sorry, out of Egypt. Um, and he is giving them all sorts of instruction uh, for how they are to live and how they are to worship him. So in Exodus uh, chapter 13, uh, verses 11 through 13, it says, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and uh, shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn man among your sons you shall redeem. So here we have some instruction, right? Um, so what what's being redeemed in this passage? Yeah, firstborn. I'm sorry. Firstborn. Okay, firstborn. Are all the firstborn being redeemed in this passage? Um, Thirteen. Says the firstborn of a donkey shall be redeemed with a lamb, uh, and every firstborn of a man. Mm-hmm. 
not sure if there was a. All first born of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. That is what I So is everything. All males that first open the womb, but all first born in the sun, I read I'm sorry, Sylvia, but I'm, I'm, no, I'm struggling to hear you, so. No, it says. Um, I need to borrow Ken's hearing aids. <laughs> It says, um, therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, mm -hmm. but all the first ones of my son I redeem. It is kind of puzzling. It says all your animals, and then it, mm -hmm. it just mentioned donkeys. Mm -hmm. and how about camels and, and uh, horses? And yeah, I I don't I don't know why he didn't provide an exhaustive list. Um, no, they had chickens back then, probably. Right. Two ducks. <laughs> so, is everything in the passage being redeemed? What do you think? All the first four, but what do they mean when they say redeem? Okay. Um, Since if we don't redeem them, we can break their neck. Right. But, you know. Right. Um, what is he meaning? I'm going to redeem all my firstborn sons. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, what I'm seeing here is like the donkeys. They're being redeemed with the lambs. Otherwise, their necks are broken. Um, and I don't know how much you've gotten out of the class so far. Nothing. But uh, redemption would be it's taking, it's paying the price for it. Mm -hmm. So um, everything's being set apart for the Lord. The donkeys, for some reason, are not being set apart for the Lord, and therefore the lambs are being set apart in their place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so you have the idea that's like, well, yeah, all your, all your sheep, all your goats, the firstborn belongs to God. Mm -hmm. So they would sacrifice those. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I, I'm assuming it has something to do with the fact that, like, is a donkey an unclean animal? I can't remember. But for whatever reason, God is not wanting the people to go and sacrifice their donkeys on the altar. And what about their sons? Well, obviously he doesn't want them to sacrifice their sons on the altar either. But it says, therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. But the first, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Mm -hmm. so you will buy them back by doing <coughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, the idea there is that, okay. is that, that those, is those are being bought back. So the donkey is being bought back. It's the firstborn donkey, so it belongs to the Lord, okay. but he doesn't want it sacrificed. And so he says, buy it back with a lamb. Okay. You're, you're going to sacrifice a lamb to buy back the donkey. And basically, if you can't afford to provide a lamb to pay for your firstborn donkey, then you break the donkey's neck. You're, you're still giving up that, that donkey because it belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. And then with the firstborn sons... He doesn't specifically say how you redeem here. Right. I believe that's in a different passage. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, you're supposed to redeem. That. Right. Right. Because obviously. He doesn't want human sacrifice. Yes. And he, he says in another part of the scripture, uh, said right. about that never even entered his mind. Exactly. Exactly. So there we see the idea of redemption, right? Is that um, in this case, these are things that belong to the Lord because of his redeeming work. Um, and so he says, all of the firstborn are mine. Okay, but, and, and again, this is not like, th this is not an exact parallel to the redemption of Christ, but it's just the idea of this belongs to the Lord, and if you're going to get it back into your possession, you need to redeem it. You need to provide a price to buy it back. Does that make sense? Yes. Is that, no, is that no. clear? So, um, so that's hopefully a helpful uh, passage for looking at... Um, know what redemption is there's a there's another passage in the book of Exodus that is um, I think helpful for understanding things we have Exodus 21 verses 28 through 30 Exodus What's that? I got Exodus 21. Uh -huh. I always and the, the number. And the, the verses are 28 through 30. Thank you. Okay. So in that passage it says, When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But 
if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. So what is being redeemed in this passage? The life of the owner of the ox. Yeah, the life of the owner of the ox. Um, and what is he being redeemed from? He uh, kept around an animal that was known to mm-hmm. harm things and people or other things, and uh, it killed a person. Mm-hmm. And he's liable because he knew it, it was it could mm-hmm. do that. It would do that. Right. So, what's that? Death penalty. Yeah, the death penalty. So basically. You know, I mean, it's like if you just, if an animal gets loose, you know, I mean, the, the first part of the passage, you know, if an animal gets loose and, and kills somebody and, you, you know, you didn't expect that to happen, you're not responsible for that. But if you keep an animal that's just likely to kill somebody and you don't take care of it, then you are responsible for that, you know, the death that happened. And so it was the death penalty for him. Um, but uh, in this particular instance, I don't think this is ever offered in case of murdering a human directly, but um, in the case of the animal uh, breaking out and somebody dying, uh, they have the option to offer the guy a ransom and say, hey, if you pay this price, then you can redeem your life. You can buy back your life, which otherwise would be forfeit. Does that make sense? Is that is that clear? Verses 31 to 32 kind of make you scratch your head, too. Okay. Is it uh, I apologize I don't have it in front of me is that uh, relevant to our topic or is it just a head scratcher yeah, it's, just, it's just a different form of payment if the ox kills your son and daughter or kills a slave or the, the, he's like, well, what's the difference and thank you restitution over there but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if it's a man's son or daughter she'll be dealt with according to the same way um, showing you can I've known the slave, it is different, but, you know. Yeah. Slaves are still human beings. I apologize, I was reading off my notes. I get Old Testament scholar to help us understand that, explain it to us. I would, I mean, I'm just, I'm just speaking out of just uh, not having studied it specifically. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's, if that's uh, not goring to death, mm-hmm. but uh, <coughs> simply maiming your slave. Um, but I don't know that, so that's just kind of off the top of my head. It doesn't explicitly say. I think, as he said, you know, it's the, the principle of verse thirty-one mm-hmm. is according to the same rule. Mm-hmm. So it's just having the same principle of right. Having the penalty and then having to be more. Well, and then up in verses 26 and 27, it talks about, well, that's a, that's a man that strikes him, but yeah, forget that. Their culture is vastly, vastly different than the 21st century culture. Mm-hmm. Right, for sure, for sure. But yes, the. The, the purpose of referencing the passage this morning is specifically just the idea of redemption. Um, just to get you an idea of how the scripture uses the term. Um, which is, you know, obviously related uh, specifically to our redemption. So, getting an idea then of what we mean when we talk about redemption, why do we need to be redeemed? Because we sin. Yeah, because we sin, right? We owe Christ. Yeah. Scripture says we're sold under sin. Yeah. Um, back in the uh, in the New Testament, uh, Galatians. We're going to be looking at a few passages in Galatians. So, go ahead and turn up there, Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter 4 and verses 
4 and 5. Uh, it says that, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, we might receive the adoption as sons. So does this passage uh, tell us anything about our need for redemption? Does it speak to that issue? Well, this is that we were under the law, and what that implies we were under the condemnation that uh-huh. comes from being under the law. Uh huh. So we are condemned. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. My next question was, uh, why does being under the law bring about the need for our redemption? And that's exactly right. Um, and that's something that Paul had actually already addressed specifically in the book of Galatians. So if you just look back at chapter three. Um, verse 10 Paul says for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them so it's it's the violators of the law if we're under the law and we don't abide by all things written in the book of the law then we're under a curse and then verse 13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so there we see again the idea of redemption brought in specifically in the idea of redeeming us from the curse of the law you also see here the the idea of redemption and substitution intersecting right because this is specifically substitution language. He became a curse for us. He was our substitute, and he bore the curse himself for us. Any other thoughts on that? What about the idea of the the kinsman redeemer? Are you familiar with that concept? Well, that was with the story of Ruth. That's where we first heard about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so that just kind of meant that you took over your. If somebody passed away, then the closest relative would mm-hmm. adopt you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the redeeming part of it is. Okay. Um, so when we talked about what redemption is, mm-hmm. right? You're you're basically buying something back, right? So how did that work? Do, do, was there a price to be paid for for redeeming Ruth? Sorry if I just read from What's that? Is it all right if I just read from Ruth? Please. Right. In, in uh, Ruth 4, um, verse 3, uh, Boaz says the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Right. So. But keep, keep reading, I guess. Sure. <laughs> it says that the, the condition is that Ruth was coming. Yeah. And he said, I will redeem it. And Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in its inheritance. And the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I care my own inheritance. Right. right. So, yeah, so you, you know, the, 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 the land has to be purchased, right? It's, yeah. you know, but it's the idea that you have the, the kinsman who uh, comes and offers the price rather than it just being sold to somebody else. Well, and also, wasn't it that uh, with the kinsman Redeemer, that the children that they had was considered the children of mm-hmm. the man who died? Right. Yeah, because so the they were to. Yeah, they were to raise up offspring uh, for the, the um, I'm trying to remember Ruth's husband's name, but uh, what's that? Elimelech. Okay, so they were to raise up children for Elimelech, uh, and so the idea is that you know, they would have, you know, he would have a child with Naomi, and then, you know, the inheritance would go to him, and then that's like, you know, and that's, you know, if he's already trying to provide for his own kids, that can be uh a difficulty for him, so that was why he bowed out of that. But, but yeah, but it it is the idea of like I mean, in a sense, it's like 
Naomi kind of needed to sell the property, but it could have, in a sense, it could have gone to anybody. But the idea is that you know you have a kinsman who comes in and they redeem it. They, they, they buy it back so that it stays in the family. So, so they pay the cost, but they don't get the benefit in, in one sense. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Is that kind of what happened with uh, Judah's sons? With uh, I think I can't remember. It was uh, like he had three, Judah had three sons. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. And each one had to be like well through. Yes. Your, your yeah. Uh, Tamar was, was her name. I think so. I was thinking that. I was like, and then he was like, uh, I thought two sons die. Uh huh. I'm not going to give you my third. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and the second son, you know, didn't want to raise up children for his brother, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's the same type of thing. Well, in our culture with our present form of the inheritance tax. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. There's there's lots of things that don't which which is biblical might, things about the inheritance tax might be might be unbiblical, <laughs> unscriptural. <laughs> Let's get rid of it. Yeah, there's there's lots of things in uh, between our culture and yeah. what the Bible says that don't <laughs> don't go together very well. Oh boy. Yeah. So any other thoughts or questions on redemption before we dive into ransom. Alright, so the na- the notion of pain or ransom um, is also frequently used in the Bible in connection with Christ's death. Um, Mark 10.45, very well-known passage. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So there, again, we see Christ giving his life and it's being spoken of in terms of a ransom. So when we speak of of a ransom, what is what does that mean? When we I mean just like in everyday in everyday usage, what what would we mean when we say a ransom? The price is being paid for something usually a person's life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's like in our culture. It's a pawn shop. You, know, you take something in the pocket, and you can get it back. You gotta pay the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So it's the price to be paid. Now, um, the Bible is very specific about uh, the price that was paid for us um, in terms of a ransom. First uh, Peter, chapter one. First Peter chapter one, looking at verses eighteen and nineteen. This is knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So how is the ransom price described here? Precious blood. Yeah, precious blood. Mm -hmm. And Peter makes an allusion to something as he's talking about this. He implies that it's imperishable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as as opposed to... uh, Silver or gold, gold. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's not it's not just not just money, which you know, here today, gone tomorrow. But he also ties it for the Jew. He ties it back into the Old Testament sacrifices Mm -hmm. and what they've been doing for centuries. Mm -hmm. You know, to show them that this is a picture of Christ. Right. Right. Yeah. Specifically, bringing up the idea of the spotless lamb, which is what they were, you know, required to to provide for their sacrifices. I assume you're going to shortly get into who his ransom was paid to. Yes, we will be talking about that here in just a moment. So you can you can hold that thought. Um, and then, uh, let's see. What is the um, what is the ransom from according to this passage? 
feel away is inherited from your forefathers. Mm -hmm. right. So, I mean, to a large degree, we've been talking about um, the the redemption and the ransom in terms specifically just of our relationship with God in a kind of a legal forensic sense. But this brings in more, doesn't it? What's the what's the implications of this? Ways inherited from the old and constant living. I'm sorry. Like a constant living, like a co I'm thinking from okay. Mm -hmm. It is a, a it is a mm -hmm. right. But it's a but it's a it's a change of your conduct, right? It's you're leaving behind. Um, your old life of sin through the the ransom that was paid by Christ. And, and specifically there, it also kind of implies the concept of original sin okay. because it's inherited mm -hmm. from our uh, fathers, uh, mm -hmm. which also makes us think of Adam uh -huh. and the fact that he was a yeah. little bit. I had, I had not thought of that um, with respect to this passage. Um, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's definitely a good thought. So... Mm -hmm. I'll have to look into that one more. Well, it doesn't matter how much silver or gold, you, you can't pay the mm -hmm. pay the ransom price, mm -hmm. whether you're T. Boone Pickens or David Coke. Mm -hmm. No matter how much money you have, you, yeah. you don't have enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's very relevant. Uh, let's let's uh, flip back to the book of Psalms, um, Psalm 49. Psalm 49, we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. Psalm 49, 7 through 9. It says, Truly, no man can ransom another, or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly, and can never suffice, that he should live on forever, and never see the pit. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly what Ken was saying, right? It's like, Human beings can't provide the ransom price. Also tells us who the ransom is paid to. It does. It tells us who the, the ransom is paid to. Now, there's a very specific reason Ken is bringing that up. So let's talk about that now. Um, why is there a discussion about um, who is the ransom paid to? What are what are the options people have provided? Most people, sadly, a lot of church people think it's paid to Satan. Okay. Which is just not true. Right, right. And the other option, of course, is that the ransom is paid to God, right? right. So, does this passage address that specifically? Yeah. yeah. So, why would we, I mean, it's not biblical, as Ken said, why would we not um, be in favor of the idea of the ransom being paid to Satan? God is the judge. I mean, we're not talking quite so much about legal terms here, but uh, he's the one who requires the price mm -hmm. to be paid. He's the one who has made the law for mm -hmm. um, redeemed mm -hmm. up under the law, ransom redeemer, very similar terms here. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, if uh, we say that it's Satan, then uh, we're giving him status there under the law is the one who, which I think for some people it's probably because Satan's called the accuser mm -hmm. probably part of the reason where some of that confusion okay. comes in. Right. Yeah, there, there are various things in scripture that can can lead people in this direction uh, you know, if you don't if you don't look at it carefully but, but yeah, I mean, basically everything we've talked about since we've begun this study should point us in the direction that the offended party that the atonement takes care of is God, right? I mean, specifically last week we talked about propitiation, um, and that was the idea that we're, you know, that that the wrath of God is being uh, turned away by the work of Christ. Um, now, um, sometimes people will speak of it in terms of, well, Satan is holding us captive, and Scripture does speak of that. Um, 
and uh, we're specifically going to talk about that next week. We're going to be talking about the triumph of of Christ over Satan in the the work of the atonement. Um, but one thing that's very important is that we realize that um, yes, Satan held us captive, and Christ uh, ended that by his work on the cross. But it wasn't by paying the price to Satan. It was by defeating Satan. Um, that is much more of the terminology of um, somebody going in and defeating our enemy and rescuing us by a feat of arms more um, than the idea of like, oh, well, our enemy has us captive and you know, there's no other way to get, him, you know, get, the, get, get the person free other than just to pay the price to the, to the enemy. So that's uh, the when the terms of redemption and ransom are used, they're never used in that way, as if Satan is the one that's being paid. This strong man uh-huh. be overcome by a stronger. Yes, yes, yes. It almost makes it sound like people who are Catholic and they're lighting their candles and counting how many candles I got for this person, and doing their rosaries for that person. It's like they're buying mm-hmm. the salvation. Yeah. There, there definitely is. Um, I mean, that's 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 kind of a different topic, but I mean, but yes, in the Roman Catholic system, there is very much um, an idea of, and a sense of, of other Christians redeeming Christians, paying the ransom for them, um, because they're having to pay off their own sin in purgatory, and so, you know, it's like, oh, well, you can help pay to get people out of purgatory quicker. Is the is the idea you know? They Although have. it's not not directly connected, but it is directly connected. In the last book of the Bible, mm-hmm. who holds the keys to the bottomless pit? That's the one. We, that, that's mm-hmm. the one the they do. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the one that has the, has the authority of you know <clears throat> who goes in and who goes out. Mm-hmm. I think some people think that even you know people that would call themselves evangelicals think of the fact that that we belong to Satan. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I think they think, I mean, that's what I've heard people say, that that's why we pay the mm-hmm. ransom to Satan, but they don't understand. It's not a sense of belonging to him. It's mm-hmm. a sense of, you know, being a prisoner, being right. captive mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, there's, there's language in there that, like, when people take, like, the language of us being <coughs> held captive by Satan and the language of ransom in scripture and just kind of put them together, yeah. they can come to this mistaken conclusion. Um, but if we keep them biblically separate, I mean, in, in none of these passages where we're talking about redemption and ransom, do you see anything about the idea of paying the ransom yeah. to Satan? Well, and, and that makes God almost subservient to Satan. Mm-hmm. It does. Instead of how it is in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. It's, yes. There's no bowing to the serpent mm-hmm. or paying a price to the serpent. It's, I'm just coming in and destroying the serpent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly and I'm sorry. I'm probably getting to next week. No, it's, it, no that's, that's fine. I mean, it's fine. It's like, it's, it's important that we get that foundation um, laid. But yeah, we will, we will talk in more detail about that type of stuff next week. When I was in my 20s, I was afraid when I saw because Linda Blair came out and she was beating The Exorcist. And I went and saw that movie and I was afraid. And I thought, can Satan penetrate my heart and take me over? And uh, I went to my pastor about it. And he said, do you have the Holy Spirit in your heart? I said, yes. He said, no room for anybody else. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah that, is, that is true. Yeah. It, um, for all of God's children, um, the, the power of Satan, I mean, again, th- this is next week. So the power of Satan is broken in their lives. And Satan no longer has, has any real power over them. But he still picks on our mind. Oh yeah, he, 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 he still is, lies to us and says, "Hey, don't you know who I am?" He he is still the accuser of the brethren. He is still a dangerous yeah. enemy. Uh, but ultimately, his his power is broken, and we're no longer under his dominion. So. Um, Colossians two, verses thirteen through fifteen. Back in the back in the New Testament again. Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Okay. No, you're no, fine. No, I don't know, because I'm standing on the same numbers. I have to repeat them. 
Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And again, we see, and it's, it's, it's all related, so we're definitely seeing some of the, some of the stuff for next week there. Um, but we talked about um, specifically um, the, the curse of the law for the breakers of the law. Um, how is that portrayed here in this passage? Because um, here it's talking about what Christ has done on the cross, and it brings in the concept of the law. How is this? I mean, how would you how would you paraphrase what's going on here? Cancelled the record of debt that was against us, uh, specifically for failing in the law. Mm-hmm. Right. Debt higher mm-hmm. than Mount Everest. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, as, as we saw in, in uh, Psalm 49, it's something that no human could pay. Um, it's, it's something that, it's like we, we were just under that mountain of condemnation. Um, but Christ, by his work on the cross, he's canceled that all for us. He's paid the price for us, right? So it's put away. It's completely uh, gotten rid of. Um, John, uh, John 19, verse 30. Um, again, a, a very well-known passage. Uh, John 19:30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished," and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? He paid the price. Paid the price. Anybody want to elaborate on that? Kind of what this whole book's about. Uh huh. I was hoping somebody would bring that up. What? I didn't hear. Titulus high. Done. Over. Uh huh. Yeah. Complete. Complete. Yeah, my, my, my understanding, um, I, I mean, I've just heard, I've heard preachers say this, and I've never looked it up myself, but my understanding is that um, during this period of history, when somebody had um, a debt that they owed, um, you know, and there was you know documentation showing this is what they owed. Then once they once it was all paid off, that's actually what would be written across the document is to tell us die. It is finished. It is paid. Um, it's the idea that it's been completely paid for. There's no longer any obligation for this debt. So that's what makes the Catholic Mass such an abomination. Yes, that is true. That is true. So I don't know if you can confirm that yeah. from your studies, yeah. but yeah. I've certainly heard people say that. that, that so, and I'm Eight assuming and that's correct. So, um, yeah, um, back in uh, back in the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, um, and I believe uh, Pastor Rick actually brought this up last week when we were uh, talking about similar things. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. Um, says he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us yeah so just again with the idea of it is finished it is paid for our sins are completely removed from us as far as the east is from the west Christ's work was so perfect, and again, this is this is another topic we're going to be talking about in the future. Is the, specifically the perfection of the work of Christ. Um, it is so perfect that our sin is just completely paid for, completely removed. Uh, the ransom price was full and complete. 
which should be a great comfort to us. And one final passage I want to look at, back in the New Testament again, Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And so there we, we see our word redeem appear uh, once more in that passage. So according to this passage, what did he redeem us from? All lawlessness. Yeah, he redeemed us from all lawlessness. There's nothing that uh, was left over a little corner. Yeah, takes care of all of it. And then for what purpose? Did he redeem us? To purify us. Uh-huh. And that, I had a Catholic friend, and she said, well, the reason we do the rosary and the lighting, the candles and all that, it's to purify us. Mm-hmm. I said, well, Christ did the redeeming. She said, but it's to purify us. But it says here, he already did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in, in the Roman Catholic system, you, you still are left with all the impurities of your sins, which is why they have the doctrine of purgatory. Because, well, you still have all those impurities. You, you need to pay for them before you can go into heaven. And so, yeah, you're saved, but you, you still have to pay for all that. Um, and so, yes, they, they have all of these things built into their system to try to deal uh, with the things that basically that the cross of Christ did not take care of. Mm. But biblically speaking, the cross of Christ took care of everything. And there's, there's no room for purgatory. There's no room for uh, penance. There's no room for anything that we can do to try to make ourselves more acceptable to God because Christ has accomplished that completely for us. And Christians think that's important for us to remember that even as we have our time of confession of sin, you know, we're not somehow trying to you know, say, God, I'm, I'm really, really sorry, so will you forgive me? That's why we always have assurance of pardon afterwards mm-hmm. to show that, no, we come and we do admit that even though we're saved and we are pure in Christ, we do sin, so mm-hmm. we confess that. Mm-hmm. But then we also remind ourselves, or we're reminded from God's Word, mm-hmm. that it's because of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. the gospel. Right, yeah. Know? And so... Yeah, that's why it's the assurance of pardon. It's right. Like it's, it's here. It's been paid for. Yes. Um, we might remember our sins, but Christ says it's still paid in full. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need, we need clean every day. Mm-hmm. Like what the, uh, watching that, that movie, The Gospel of John, I finished it last night. Mm-hmm. And anyhow, that, uh, that's why Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You know, it's a thing you do clean it's on a daily basis. You know? Yeah, I'm going to say, we, we certainly don't want to take anything of the perfection of the work of Christ to mean that we, oh, we don't need to confess our sins anymore or worry about that anymore. We obviously, um, again, I think this passage addresses that to some degree. Um, we need to strive for holiness, and we need to be confessing our sins, but we can rest in the fact that Christ's work completely paid for all of our failures to live as we should. We're confessing the fact that um, even though God has all done, done all this, we still have that old sin nature that we struggle mm-hmm. with. Uh, we're not perfectly holy yet, that's for eternity. Right. But yet, the status, our status as sons of God, our status as being justified, that's all mm-hmm. the same. That's all happened. Mm-hmm. It's in the past, mm-hmm. it's done. Right. It is finished. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we, we need to look at it in terms of what Christ has accomplished, not in terms of what we've done. Because if it's if it's in terms of what we've done, then it's, it's you know, it's really it's like, uh, am I doing okay? Am I really still acceptable? But if it's like, okay, this is an event that happened 
a very long time ago, nothing I can do can alter the reality of that historical fact. And that, I mean, that should be just a great comfort to us. That the thing that the thing that accomplished our redemption is a historical reality, not at all influenced by our own um, either successes or failures. I do want to just look just again at this last little bit of this passage here. Um, and Nancy brought up, you know, that it's to purify us, um, which it certainly is. Um, but he's, um, Paul is a little more explicit and uh, explains a little farther exactly what he means there. Uh, but it is to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Um, one thing that you will often encounter if you, um, if you tell people about God's free salvation in Christ um, is they will often say, "Oh, well, that's just that's just a license to sin. Um, if you know, if I just put my faith in Christ and my sins are forgiven, then that just means I can just live however I want." Um, but if you look at the um, the writers of the New Testament when they talked about the great work of Christ, that was not their view of it. Their view very much was, because of this, we live holy lives. This this great redemption that we have that takes away all of our sin, takes away all of our responsibility for our standing with God, um, it's, it pushes us toward a life of holiness. Um, God's purpose in redeeming us is so that he could create a people for himself who don't just do good deeds, but who are zealous for good deeds. And slightly different topic, but at the beginning of that section, it also also shows us the means of that too. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age. Yeah. Um, it's all of God, even though it's a, this part of it, salvation is a process, mm-hmm. sanctification, it's still from God. Mm-hmm. He, he's training us to uh, renounce those passions and yeah. live up right lives. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely true. So. Should we probably ask ourselves from time to time, or are we zealous of good, good works? <laughs> I know I am not nearly as zealous for good works as I should be. So, and um, still, we still should be have daily contrition and repentance. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean that that's actually a part of being zealous for good works. Is is that and we see that we fall short, and we need to be honest about that and ask the Lord, you know, that He would forgive us for our sins. Uh, but we know that he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins because of what Christ has accomplished. So we can always come and ask forgiveness with confidence, with assurance that he will provide that forgiveness. Yeah, and the opposite side that we oftentimes don't think of is to be proactive at the beginning of the day to pray that God would do these good works through us. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Sometimes yeah, we think about where we sin, but we don't always think, God, give me strength, God, give me the wisdom, God, direct my path this day that I would do good works to your yeah. honor and glory. Yeah, that is a very good point. <clears throat> all those good works for glory, if, if we do something good or benefit someone during the day, sometimes we get a little puffed up and say, I did this good work. Yeah. <laughs> we need to constantly remind ourselves, if, if we do anything good, it's Christ doing it uh-huh. through us. Yes. It's not us doing it, because left to ourselves, we wouldn't be doing any yeah. good work. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is so easy for us yeah. to get twisted views yeah. of all these things. Um, and I mean, that's one of the reasons that I think it's really important that we always just keep looking back at the cross. Yeah. As, we, as we examine what Christ has accomplished and all the different facets of it, um, I think that should help ground our minds to think properly about these things and even when you know these things it's still just so easy for your mind to get off of these truths and start thinking things that aren't true Um, and so we need to just constantly be reminding ourselves of these things I'm not sure exactly how to phrase my thoughts but I think 
our minds are a little bit short in understanding, even as we're going through these words, how big redemption is, or how big this uh, atonement and substitute. Like, you know, I think probably most of you heard, because it was viral everywhere, about this guy that forgave the, the woman that mm -hmm. shot, shot someone, you know? And I'm not kidding, if I saw it in the computer like 10 times, it's few. I mean, like everybody was teary and moved and like, wow, you know, this guy is forgiving, you know? And, uh, and the thing is, he's not even doing nearly as close to what Christ and God has done mm -hmm. when it comes to forgiving. I think we forget how sinful, how, how bad we are to realize how much it means that he did that. And I think, uh, I think uh, even though sometimes we emphasize, oh yeah, Jesus, he, he did for, forgive me, he died for me, things like that. I mean, he was God. We have no, we're, we forget, we're not aware how big is this, this change. And I think when we grow in knowing, oh my goodness, how could you, I mean, we were not just, I mean, probably when you say, talk about enmity probably, we were just not annoying kids in there, you know. We were enemies. We have done bad. We hated God. We turned away from Him. We have, and and so that He redeems us is a big deal, you know. And I think, uh, and I pray. I just been recently meditating upon the amazingness of who could forgive people like us. Who? could give a life like us. I mean, when it says that blood is precious blood, you know, that kind of fuels me, you know, to think, boy, do we need to, to obey, to serve, you know, like sometimes, like in other words, I think if we some want to be motivated in how to keep the zealous for good works and everything, dwelling into this amazingness work of Christ, it's huge. I don't know if it makes sense. It's just hard to explain, but it's no, that that's. I mean, that's great. That's I, I agree completely, and I think it's like that's that's why we're that's why we're doing this study. That's why we're covering these things is because it is just so important, and we it's just so easy for us to not see the magnitude of the great redemption that we have in Christ. So thank you for that that great reminder that it's, it's, we really do need to view it as just an amazing thing. Um, and when we see that we're all unworthy, it does make a difference because I used to pray for my enemies. I used to pray to, for God to bring them down. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to get into those kind of prayers, and I don't anymore. It's like, uh, I'm no better. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like Jonah. Huh? You, just, you didn't need <laughs> God to save them. <laughs> just kill them. Well, we are out of time, so let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, God, we do thank you for the great redemption that you have accomplished through Christ. Uh, and Lord, it, it is just it's it's more amazing than we can uh, even grasp. Um, we really don't understand the depth of our own sin. Um, and Lord, the the greatness of the price that was paid, that we were redeemed, that we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Mm. Uh, not with uh, not with silver and gold, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ that is beyond all value. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would continue to, to meditate on these things, that they would impact our lives, that we would be a people uh, zealous for good deeds, that we would um, just consider your great love for us and desire to walk in obedience to you. And Lord, that we would constantly be asking you for strength to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. And when we fail, that we would be constantly uh, asking for your forgiveness, confessing our sins, but always looking to the cross and knowing that uh, that perfect sacrifice was offered in our place, that it is paid for, it is finished, um, and Lord, just that that would that that would rule our lives. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we continue to worship and, and song and prayer and the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, bless each and every one of us. That uh, God, that we would.
be changed and uh, that you would be honored in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What are we going to say?